Well, today we begin a brand new series called Stand. And what I want to do is throughout this entire month, I want to take a look at how do you take a stand for God in the right ways at the right times and for the right reasons. So what we're going to do throughout the entire month is hang out in the book of Daniel. It's found in the Old Testament. If you want to go ahead and turn to Daniel chapter 1, that's where we're going to be today, Daniel chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible this morning, that's fine. All the scriptures I'll be referencing are there on the outline that you were given as you walked in. They'll also be on the screens behind us. And again, if you have a smartphone, you can pull that out, download the Version app, and you'll be able to find all the scriptures on there as well. As you're continuing to turn uh, there to Daniel chapter 1, let me give you a little bit of context behind what it is we're going to look at today. Daniel is, again, found in the Old Testament. This is about 530 years before the time of Jesus. And God's nation, the, the nation of Israel, actually wasn't even living in the nation anymore because they had been defeated by this very evil king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. He was the head of the Babylonian Empire, and he had taken all the Jews into exile out to the east, thousands of miles away. And so what Nebuchadnezzar had done was he had gone into Jerusalem originally, and that's the capital city of Israel. He destroyed it completely. And when I say destroyed it completely, not only did he destroy the city itself, but the temple, the the holy place where it was the centerpiece of, of all of Israel, he destroyed that. And one of the things that he did was he went in, first of all, even before he tore the building down, he took out all of the, the religious symbols and the religious artifacts and he crushed them to powder. It was almost as if though he was saying, I am crushing your God down to absolutely nothing. Not only did he destroy the the city and the temple and all the religious symbols, but symbolically then he said, you know what, I'm going to destroy your future as well. And the way he did that was he took all the young men of Israel, the best and the brightest of them, and he rounded them up and he said, you know what, I am going to indoctrinate them into the ways of Babylon. That way in the future, when when they grow up and they become leaders, they're not going to be leaders for their God anymore. They're going to be leaders for the God that I serve. And so with that context in mind, let's uh, look at Daniel chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. There's going to be two sort of main characters today, Nebuchadnezzar and then this boy named Daniel. Daniel chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 says this. One day the king ordered Ashpenaz, his highest palace official, to choose some young men from his royal family of Judah and from other leading Jewish families. And the king said, they must be healthy, handsome, smart, wise, educated, and fit to serve in the royal palace. In other words, he's basically going, you know what, round up all the guys that are going to be voted most likely to succeed. The very, the very best and the brightest. Bring, bring them in to me. Verse 5. Teach them how to speak and write our language and give them the same food and wine that I am served. Train them for three years and then they can become court officials. Nebuchadnezzar has this very intentional and strategic plan to indoctrinate these boys into the ways of Babylon. He wants them to think the way that Babylonians think. He wants them to behave the way that the Babylonians behave. He wants them to do all the same things that the Babylonians do. And here's what you need to understand this morning as we start. That's the same strategy that Satan has for you. Satan wants you to to think the way that he thinks, to believe the things that he believes, to behave the way that he behaves. He wants to indoctrinate you into the ways of the world. Even though the ways of God are so much bigger and so much better, Satan says, no, 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 I've got something better for you. And he tricks us into believing that 
and we start to follow it. Now, I use the word trick for a, a reason. Because, see, Satan is smart enough, I think, to know that he isn't going to try to say, hey, become a devil worshiper, because you're smarter than that. <laughs> you know better than that. You're not going to get tricked by that. So you know what he does? He, he's conniving. He, he's, he's a schemer. And what he wants you to do is, is just sort of live Christianity out. Don't fully live it out, just sort of live it out. Live according to the, the world systems. Satan wants you to become what some have called a cultural Christian. You say, well, what's that? Well, a cultural Christian is simply somebody that you would ask them, do you believe in God? Oh, yeah, 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 I believe in God. Do you believe in Jesus? Yeah, 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 I believe in Jesus. Are you a Christian? Well, sure, I'm a Christian. I mean, I, I go to church occasionally. You know, at least Christmas and Easter. You know, I'm there. You know, I, I try to help people. I, I try to, to do things occasionally that I think God would want. I mean, I was born in America. Isn't this a, a Christian nation? Oh, of course I'm a Christian. But yet if you ask that person to, to sort of prove their Christianity to you. Well, why is it that you're a Christian? They would say things like, well, you know, I'm a, a good person. I try to do the best I can. I go to church. Did you know that Satan doesn't care that you're in church this morning? He actually would prefer that you're in church, just as long as you don't apply anything, just as long as you're not actually taking next steps. See, again, he wants you to feel like everything's okay, that I'm a Christian. But see, what cultural Christians have done is they haven't accepted Jesus' offer of forgiveness of their sins. They haven't actually repented and, and turned from their sins. They just want all the benefits of Christianity, but yet don't you dare ask them to actually do something, to, to sacrifice for their faith. Cultural Christians, at the, the first chance they have to compromise their faith, they'll do it. First time it gets a, a little bit tough that Jesus asks you to, to do something big for him. It's like, eh, no, 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 no. I, I want to do what I want to do. And so again, Satan's strategy is to, to get you to be a, a cultural Christian. And yeah, I show up at church on Sundays. Yeah, occasionally I go out and help and do some things. I serve. But yet the reality is you're not truly living out your faith on a day-to-day -day basis. And see, the, the problem with being a cultural Christian is this. You will never have good and true spiritual success. You'll never be able to overcome the temptations and the, and the, the various strategies of Satan, the darkness of this world, if you're just a cultural Christian. Let me try to further uh, just illustrate this for you. Cultural Christian is sort of like this. Imagine you said, I'm a world-class athlete. But yet then we find out that you go to the gym like twice a year. And, and you don't like watch what you eat. But you say, well, I go to the gym. I, I watch what other people are doing. I, I read some articles occasionally about being a world-class athlete. So that must make me a world-class athlete. Or imagine somebody with their marriage going, you know what? I've got the best marriage in the world. There is no marriage better than mine. 
But then you find out that that person never spends time with their spouse. That person never says that I love you to their spouse. Person never serves and, and truly loves their spouse. You'd be going, wait a second, something isn't matching here. Your words are saying one thing, but your actions are saying something completely different. And see, what I want you to see is that's what cultural Christianity is. The people go, yeah, 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 I'm a Christian. Look at me. But then you watch their life and, and you listen to the words that they speak. And you're like, something doesn't match up here. They must not be following the same book that I'm following. Again, that, that's Satan's strategy. That's his scheme for you. Here's what I want you to get. You know, just showing up to Exponential every week for an hour and 15 minutes, or for many of you, it's an hour and 10 minutes because you're always five minutes late. Just showing up for that, you know, a little bit of time each week, that doesn't make you a Christian. Just coming to church does not make you a Christian. Somebody once said it this way. That coming to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than sleeping in the garage would make you a car. It's not just about showing up here on Sundays. It's a part of it. It's an important part of it. But God wants you to be in relationship with him. Jesus wants a relationship with you 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. He wants you to be in his word every single day, learning from it, that you're growing, that your mind is being renewed, that you're being fed by the word of God. That you're learning to walk by faith and not by sight. That you're learning to, to trust and, and, and listen to the voice of the Spirit and say, you know what, Spirit, wherever it is that you want me to go, I'll go. Whatever it is you want me to say, I'm going to say. Whatever it is you want me to do, I'm going to do it. Christianity isn't just about showing up on Sundays. It's not something you do. Christianity is who you are. who you are, that I am a follower of Jesus. So we can't become cultural Christians. Because again, we'll never lead the life that God intends us for us to live. That's why Paul says this in Ephesians 6, 11. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you can do what? So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Notice he says, you, you've got to take a stand because again, Satan, he's, he's got these schemes. He's crafty. He, he wants you to just sort of blend into the crowd. And what I want to say to you today, and, and hopefully if you don't remember anything else, you'll remember this, that if you're not standing out for God, then you are blending in with the world. That's tweetable. That's something you can do with your hashtag, you know, for our check-in today, right? That look, if you're not standing out for God, then you're just blending in with the world. And so Paul says here to us, look, you, you've got to put on the full armor of God if you're going to take a stand against this. Now, your next logical question is, well, what's the armor of God? Thankfully, Paul answers that for us. He continues on then. He says this in verses 13 to 17. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to what? You may be able to stand your ground 
And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm. Then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which you can use to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Paul is saying, look, sometimes you have got to take a stand. But here's the deal. You've got to take a stand in the right way for the right reasons and at the right time. Look, you and I have been called to be holy. The word holy simply means to be set apart for God, to be different than the world. That the world's going that way, God's going that way, and you say, look, I've got a choice to make. Am I going to do it the world's way? Am I going to do it God's way? And you say, you know what? I'm going to do it God's way. And guess what? Anytime you start to do things God's way, because everybody else is going this way, aren't they? The majority of the world is going the world's way. And so when you come over here, you're going to stand out. You're going to be different. And you're going to get criticized for that. People may mock you. People may laugh at you. People are going to call you a little Jesus freak, but that's okay. We are called to stand out, to to be holy for God. Again, if you're not standing out, then you're just simply blending in. That's not what God has called us to do. And so as we read this story here this morning in the book of Daniel, there's this young boy, Daniel, who decides that, you know what, along with my three friends, We are going to take a stand for God. Let's read about it in verses 6 and 7 there in Daniel chapter 1. It says, Four of the young Jews chosen were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, all from the tribe of Judah. But the king's chief official gave them Babylonian names. Daniel became Belshazzar, Hananiah became Shadrach, Mishael became Meshach, and Azariah became Abednego. Now you may be asking, why, why were their names changed? Well, again, let's look at a little bit of context. Scholars believe that each of these boys were anywhere from 12 to 15 years old. In other words, like 7th grade to 10th grade or so. And I want you to keep in mind, they're thousands of miles away from home now, where they were originally born. They've been taken away from their families. They've been stripped of their identities. Their hopes and dreams have been crushed. And so Nebuchadnezzar says, you know what? I'm going to take away from them the one last thing that they truly own, and that's their name. I'm going to take their identity away. Because each of their names was tied to the one true God, Yahweh, Jehovah. They were Jewish names. He says, I'm going to give them Babylonian names so that now they're tied to the God that I serve, the Babylonian gods. This was a way for them to understand, look, you don't serve your God anymore. You now serve the God that I serve. Now, earlier we read that Nebuchadnezzar had said to him, look, make sure that they eat the diet that I eat. Give them all the same foods that I eat. Now, you're probably going, that sounds like a pretty good deal, right? We get to eat from the king's table, eat all the same thing. I mean, he he wasn't eating McDonald's. He wasn't getting carry out and stuff. He was probably getting like these gourmet feasts. What's wrong with eating the king's food? Well, again, you got to understand a little bit of context here. The Babylonian gods sort of demanded that the food be offered up and sacrificed to them. 
And so there was this whole thing of idol worship that the food was involved with. And then after they were done eat or, uh, worshiping and, and sacrificing, then it was fed to the people. And so for Daniel and his three friends, this would have been just like a no-no. Because to eat this food that had been offered up to these idols, it would have been compromising their faith. And they're like, you know what? No, we're not going to do that. Now, I think it's interesting that, you know, Daniel, he doesn't take a stand at first when it's just about his name, because he realizes that, look, you can call me whatever you want to call me. You can call me anything, because I know who I truly am. My identity isn't found in my name. My identity is found in the God whom I serve. But as soon as there was the opportunity to defame the name of the God whom he served, then he said, okay, now it's time to take a stand. You can say anything about me, but don't you dare try to insult my God. He and his three friends, they said, you know what? It is time to take a stand because you've crossed a line here. So in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, we read, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. And the key word there to me is the word resolved. He made a decision. He had predetermined that this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do. I'm not going to eat it. Now, if he was like many of us, he probably would have compromised and rationalized and said, well, it's just food. I mean, God created it and everything that God created is good, so God will understand if I do this. Or maybe another excuse that we use is this. He would have said, I'm hungry. I mean, I'm going to have to eat something. So even though I know God probably wouldn't want me to eat this, I'm going to eat it anyway because I know God will forgive me for doing it. Right? Don't we do that sometimes? Yeah, I know God says, but I'm going to do it anyway because I'll be forgiven. Here's another excuse. He could have said, well, all the other young boys are eating it. I mean, everybody else is doing it and I don't see them being struck down by lightning or anything, so I'm going to do it as well. See, we have all kinds of excuses that we use to to try to rationalize our behaviors and our sin. But it's not okay. Daniel predetermined, this is what I'm going to do in the face of temptation. And here's the point I want to make to you. I put it on your outline this way. My spiritual success will be determined by what I decide ahead of time to do or not to do. Let me say that again. My spiritual success will be determined by what I decide ahead of time to do or not to do. You know, I don't know what it is for you, but I know the Holy Spirit is right now speaking to some of you. That there are things that you know that you're supposed to be doing and you're not doing it. Or there's things that you shouldn't be doing, but yet you are doing it. But again, your spiritual success is going to be determined by you pre-deciding, okay, this is what I'm willing to do, and these are the things I'm just not willing to do. For some of you, it's alcohol. Again, we've talked about this before. Just, you know, drinking in and of itself is not wrong. Getting drunk is. But yet many of you know that every single time you drink, you can't just drink in moderation. You always drink to excess. You always are getting drunk. 
And you've just got to make a decision. You've got to predetermine that, you know what? In the future, when somebody offers me alcohol, I'm out at a party or I'm out at a restaurant or wherever, that I'm just simply not going to do it. But you can't wait to that moment to try to have that willpower. You have got to decide now. For some of you single people, you're out dating. You've got to pre-decide, pre-determine what you're going to do the next time that that person you're out on a date with is forcing you that, you know, hey, hey, let's just make out. Let's, let's just have sex and stuff. You've got to make that decision before you're in the backseat of the car. You can't wait till you're back there and things are getting hot and steamy to say, oh, no, 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 no. You've got to do it now. You've got to make that determination. For some of you, you've got to predetermine what's going to happen the next time that you're at the office and they start to gossip or they start to bash your boss. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Again, we've got to predetermine all of these things. There are just simply some things I'm not willing to do. But then there's got to be some things you predetermine that I am going to do. You know, for me, one of the things I decided many years ago is that if it's the weekend, I'm going to be in a church service somewhere. It doesn't matter where we're at in the world, we are going to church. It doesn't matter that I'm on vacation. Vacation doesn't mean that I get the vacation from God. We're going to be in church service somewhere. I have to be like extremely, extremely sick. I mean extremely sick not to be in church. Where else would I want to be than church if I'm sick? Where the healing power of God is that, that people can lay hands on me and pray for me to be well and healed. Many of you remember last year, Lisa and I got back from Costa Rica and I was three weeks like deathly ill in bed. But yet, where was I Sunday morning? I drug my butt in the church. I didn't preach, but I was there. I had somebody else fill in and preach, but I was there. Why? Because where else would you want to be? When it snows, when we cancel, guess what I do? I get online and I watch somebody else that's like in Florida or Texas or, you know, Phoenix, you know, Arizona or something, that they don't have to worry about shoveling sunshine, you know? <laughs> I watch the church. I just made that decision. You're going, well, Gilbert, that's easy for you. You're a pastor. You have to be in church on Sundays. But you know what? I made that decision about seven years before I ever became a pastor. It's just something I predetermined that this is important to me. Why? Because God says it's important that we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves. So it doesn't matter if somebody offers me concert tickets or I have a chance to go away, you know, on a camping trip or, or you know, a, a concert or a sporting event or whatever. No, no, no. I'm going to be in church. Why? Because that's where God wants me to be. Here's something else I predetermined many years ago, that every day in some way I'm going to be in this book. And I'm going to read at least a little bit of it that I'm going to use it to, to feed my soul, to renew my mind. If I've had any spiritual success at all, I think it's because of those two decisions I made many, many years ago. That I'm always going to be in God's house and I'm always going to be in God's word. And so you, you've got to determine for yourself, what are some things that you just absolutely, I have to do these things. It's just going to be unacceptable for me to go through a day. It's going to be unacceptable for me to go through a week or, or whatever it is without doing fill in the blank. What is it for you? Here's some things I'm willing to do. Here's some things I'm absolutely not going to do. 
And I want you to realize this about Daniel and his friends. When they resolved not to eat the the food that the king ate, this wasn't a one-time decision. Right? This wasn't a one-time decision. They were going to stand out every single day. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. They were taking a stand for God. It was pretty obvious to others that they're not doing what we're doing. And I'm sure people ridiculed them. They laughed at them. But they were like, okay, that's okay. We're doing this for God. And we'd rather have the praise of God than the praise of people any day of the week. And what you'll realize is this, that the closer you get to Jesus, the more chances you're going to have to stand out for him, to do things that other people aren't doing. And you're going to be okay with it because you're going to realize that, wait, this is the absolute best way to live my life. So we continue on then in verses 11 to 15. It says, Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. At the end of 10 days, see how we look as compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. The attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. I love this. They decide that they're going to take a stand, but notice that they don't throw a big deal about it. They don't go on a hunger strike. They don't like get out their signs and and start picketing around the palace, you know, want to eat vegetables and only drink water. Eating the king's food is wrong. He's going to hell. They don't start preaching against it. Don't get on Facebook and start slamming everybody. I don't know what it was called back then, but you know what I mean. They just simply and humbly make a request. Can we try this? Yeah, it's going to be different. Yeah, we're going to stand out, but can we just give it a try? And see, I think that the reason that Christians a lot of times these days get such a bad rap is because we do things like I just mentioned. Everybody knows what the church is against, but they don't know what the church is for. My former boss, Rick Warren, said it this way, we've become one big mouth when we're really called to be the entire body. That's what people know us for. We're just a big mouth that we're just arguing about everything and complaining about everything. I mean, it's amazing. You get on Facebook and you see Christians just slamming people over the head with the Bible. Now, here's the deal. Are they many times speaking the truth? Are they many times right in what they're saying? Yes. But again, when you take a stand, you've got to do it at the right time, in the right place, and in the right way. And that's the problem that so many people have. It's not that they're not speaking the truth. It's that they're not speaking the truth in love. Or you'll see people, you know, face to face, and they get in these arguments with non-Christians. And and really, they'd rather win a debate with them than win the person's soul. 
right place, right time, right way. We have got to have a balance of grace and truth. And again, so many Christians, yes, it's the truth of God's word. But you, you can't stop at that. You, you've got you to help show grace in it as well. Show compassion. Come alongside people and, and show them that, look, I, I love you and, and God has a better way for you. But you don't do it by just pointing a finger at them. You do it by developing a relationship. And it's in the midst of relationship that they say, look, you're different than me. You're, you're standing out. You're, you're separate. You're, you're different than me. What is it about you that's so different? I want that. And then is your chance to say, here's the truth of God's word. And here's how it changed me. And here's how it can change you as well. But when you just lead with bashing people over the head with the Bible, what are people going to do? Walls are going to go up and they're going to get away from you. And so Daniel and his three friends, they decide to take a stand, but they, they do it the right place, the right time, and in the right way. So you got to ask yourself, anytime that you have a major thing going on, is this worth taking a stand for or not? Some things God's going to say, you know what, that, that's not worth taking a stand for. There's going to be other things that he's going to say, no, no, no. This is going to be different. You're going to have to, to stand out. You know, for me, many of you, you know that since I moved here to Harrisburg, that part of my outreach is not only what we do here at the church, but uh, it's a weird thing, but just getting involved in the lives of professional poker players, trying to reach them in any way that I can, trying to build relationships with them in any way that I can. And guess what? When I first made that decision and denominational leaders found out about it, when other Christians found out about it, it wasn't a popular decision, right? Chuck, Chuck's here today. He knows I got called into the principal's office. <laughs> They're like, what in the world are you doing? You can't do this. And it's at that moment I had to make a decision. Is this worth taking a stand for or not? And to me, it was because of two core values we have around here at Exponential. One is that what? Lost people what? Lost people matter to God and therefore they've got to matter to me. Well, guess what? It's not like poker players that have big church services. There's a lot of lost people amongst them. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of addiction. There, there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of searching for truth. They're searching after the almighty dollar when they should be searching after the almighty God. And so I said, you know what, that, that's a core value of ours, that lost people matter, and they're really lost. And so I've got to do this. Here's another core value that we have, is that to reach people that nobody else is reaching, you've got to be willing to do things nobody else is willing to do. Most churches are going after the low-hanging fruit. Most Christians are going after low-hanging low fruit. People that, that, like you just breathe on them and say Jesus, and they're like, oh, what must I do to be saved? Well, that's easy. Anybody can like reach those people. It's the people that are really, really far from God that who's going after them? Who's trying to share the love of Jesus with them? Again, to reach people that nobody else is willing to reach, you've got to be willing to do things nobody else is willing to do. And I said, that's me. That's me. And so, man, I've taken some heat. I've taken some criticism still to this day. But it was a stand that I was willing to take. Why? 
because I knew that I could make a difference in these poker players' lives. Let me just share with you some of the things that have been going on. I now have players that they send me prayer requests. Gilbert, could you pray for this for me? I have players, actually I have one guy that every week he's on the road because he travels, he's on the tour. Every week he's like, Gilbert, can you help me find a church in the city that I'm in this week? And so I get online, I Google, you know, what's, what's the best church to get him in that week? I've helped a guy that was a drug addict get free from drugs. I've uh, done all kinds of counseling for players, and now it's becoming international. Uh, recently, it was guys in the Netherlands I was doing some counseling with. I did some Russian guys. I did some guys from Australia, some guys in other countries. I mean, this is an international thing now. You know, I'm helping guys through Skype and stuff doing all this. Again, doing all kinds of counseling. And I share with you recently that one guy that I've been sort of developed a relationship with and just sort of dripping my faith, so to speak, planting seeds. He recently became a Christian back in, I guess that was early November. And this dude is on fire. I mean, he is on fire for Jesus. He is plugged into a church. He's taking people to church with them now. He is reading his Bible every single day. Actually, he's like reading more than what I even tell him he needs to read. Every day, if, how many of you are on version, the app, the, the version app on your phone and stuff, and use that for your devotions and stuff? You know, I, I do what's assigned to me, you know, the, the one reading a day. Every day, it's like, I won't say his name, but I'll call him Bob, you know. Bob started five new devotional plans today, you know, and they're like 30-day plans, and then the next day, it's like, Bob completed those five devotional plans. <laughs> Bob started five more plans. He is on fire. And you know what he's starting to ask is things like, what can I do now to reach the community of poker players as well? And his wife, because he and his girlfriend that were living together, they said, we got to get married. This isn't, God doesn't want us living together. God doesn't want us having sex and stuff outside of marriage. We've got to get married. So I went down a couple weeks ago, did their wedding for them. But they're on fire. And and she says to me, she said, Gilbert, she says, "Uh, our, our church She's like, they're getting ready to have a, a class on, are you called to ministry? You think Bob should take that class? I was like, yeah. <laughs> and he said to me, he's like, well, what, what, what can we do? What, what, what can we do? What can we do to, to reach more and more? And last, no, it was two weeks ago, he sent me a, a thing. He's like, I think I want to try to preach sometime. <laughs> so was it worth taking a stand? Was it, was it worth saying, you know what? Man, this isn't popular. I know it's going to make me a little bit different, but was it worth it or not? What do you think? Yeah, lives are being changed. And you've got to ask yourself the same thing. What is it that God is saying that you need to take a stand for? And what are the things that God is saying you need to take a stand for by not doing something? What does that look like in your life? Again, I know the Spirit is speaking to some of you. What is He speaking and are you going to be obedient to it? Continue on then, verses 18 and 19. It says, At the end of the three-year period set by King Nebuchadnezzar, his chief palace official brought all the young men to him. And the king interviewed them and discovered that none of the others were as outstanding as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And so they were given positions in the royal court. What's so cool is as you continue to read through the book of Daniel, as you continue to read through the Old Testament, as you continue to understand Jewish history, 
they changed not just Jewish history because they were a part of this royal court, they actually changed world history. We would not be sitting here today had they not taken this stand. Absolutely amazing. Had they compromised their faith, history would have never been changed. But they took a stand. So here's my challenge to you. Don't be a cultural Christian. Don't be a a person that's just sort of going through the motions of Christianity. Jesus said it this way in the book of Revelation. He said, look, I'd rather you be hot or cold. Don't be lukewarm. In other words, he's saying, I'd rather you not even be a Christian than just to be a lukewarm Christian. He says, because at least at that point, you're being honest about where you're really at. He says, either be all in for me or nothing of me. Don't just play around with it. Again, that's my challenge to you. Don't just play around with Christianity. Truly ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins. Truly repent of those sins. Turn from those sins and then say, God, here I am, all of me. You have every single part of me, every single word, every single action, every single thought. God, I will go where you want me to go. I'll say whatever it is you want me to say. I'll do whatever it is you want me to do. You gave your life for me on the cross. I am now giving my life back in return to you. Take a stand. But see, when when you truly do that, when you sell out for him, you're going to be different. People are going to point the finger at you. You're weird. You're one of those religious weirdos. But that's okay. Because see, it's not about our name. It's all about his name. And we don't do these things to stand out, to draw attention to ourselves. We do these things to to point back to him, to reflect his glory and his honor right back onto Jesus that when people look at us, it should be a mirror, that what they see is Jesus in us, and it reflects Jesus back. People shouldn't see us. They should see Jesus living in us. But to do that, you got to be willing to stand out. I pray, I pray, 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 pray. That's the decision that you'll make today that I'm drawing a line in the sand, that I came in this way, but now I'm going to be different. I'm giving it all to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we've had to come together to worship you through song and and through the, the preaching of your word. And Lord, we thank you for guys like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these, these guys that, that took a stand for you And Lord, they they did it in a way that was full of grace and truth. And so, Lord, I pray that we ourselves would just examine our own lives and that your Spirit would reveal to us, are we living lukewarm lives? Are we just being cultural Christians? Or have we fully sold out to you? And Lord, if we haven't fully sold out, I pray that this morning would be the day that, that people would make that decision, that God Here I am. All that I have is yours. And Lord, once we've made that decision, help us not to to keep that to ourselves, but help us to to stand out and to to make a difference in this world, to to shine your glory, to, to be salt and light to this dark world.
And so, Lord, in that way, whatever it is that you're, you're calling us to do, to make a difference, to show people that, look, you matter to God and you matter to me as well. Lord, I pray that we would do that. Jesus, we thank you that you did give your all for us on the cross. Help us now to give our lives fully back to you in everything that we say and everything that we do. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.